following message was recorded at The Way. For additional messages and information, log on to our website, www.thewaycolumbus.com, or email us at thewaycolumbus at gmail.com. Now, get ready to hear a word from God. So we're still gonna, I'm still going to call the message uh, The Mind of Faith, Part 2, Part 2. Um, since there are some people here that were not here last week, um, I'm going to take a few minutes just to kind of go over what I started last week just because of the subject matter. It's one of those teachings where if you come in halfway through or even a quarter of the way through, you pretty much have a really hard time trying to jump on board and ride the train. So um, just to recap from last week, if you were here last week, you probably already have most of this. Um, I read out of the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 from 8, profiting from trials. Um, and what, we, what God really was teaching me was how the human mind worked. He related to us walking, with, walking in faith with how the, the way he created his brain. God was such a genius, or he is such a genius, that when he created man and he created the universe, and when he, you know, under his inspiration was his word actually written, his thumbprint is on everything that's in the universe, from the stars to the planets to the animals to us as humans. And he really began to teach me how he um, created our mind to work. And I'm just going to read briefly over um, what I talked about last week. Okay, we all know that we have a brain, and we all know that our brain helps us think. But what we all probably didn't know is that our brain is in charge of pretty much everything we do. We often talk about in the Bible the conditions of the heart, but everything that makes its way to the heart first started in the mind. First, it had to come from an outside stimulus, whether it was something someone said to you, something you saw, or something you experienced. Something on the outside made its way in, and the way your mind processed or filtered that information is how you feel, how you respond to it. The way your brain works is any kind of outside information, whether I tell you something, whether you read it, you see it on TV, whether you experience it, it first goes through the, the frontal part of your brain and your brain filters it. And basically what your brain does is once it filters that information, meaning it determines whether it's true or false, which means every time you hear something for the first time, your brain it almost comes into your brain as a, from a neutral stance. You believe it. Because if you didn't believe it or even give it the opportunity to be processed or filtered, it wouldn't make its way into your mind. So the way your brain works is once you're presented with information, you filter it, and then you have different parts of your brain that regulate different feelings and thoughts and sensories where that information is stored. Now, how that information is stored is based on the other part of your brain, which is towards the back. We call that your subconscious mind. You probably hear that a lot now in the media, especially concerning psychology or a lot of New Age teaching, teaching where they try to teach people to get into this new level of subconsciousness and unconsciousness, this, that, and the other. The subconscious brain, basically, we refer to that as your long-term memory. When you first receive information, short-term memory. You ever hear when people talk about studying, how you study it and it's in your short-term memory, and if you don't, you know, remember it, then it's just gone. But if you actually process and filter that information, it goes into your um, long-term memory bank or your subconscious mind, okay? And the reason why your brain is set up that way is because your subconscious mind, the, st the, the storage is limitless. You can store an unlimited amount of information there. 
um, the front part of your brain that processes information, it's not, doesn't have that same capacity. It's only there to filter, process information, and send it out. So that's how those two functions work. Your brain is made up of neurons, okay? We have about 100 billion neurons in our brain. Basically what neurons do, they communicate with one another to create a function. How my hand is moving, there are neurons in my brain that regulate how my hand moves. From me talking, there are neurons in my brain that gather together that regulate me moving my mouth and forming the English language and making facial expressions and hand gestures as I talk. So everything, every movement you do, every thought that you have, every reaction that you have is governed by what goes on in your mind, which is made up of cells called neurons. Okay, is everybody still with me? All right, so now that you kind of have the foundation of um, at least a concept of how the mind works, I want to get into the teaching for today. Um, the scripture that um, God has given me is out of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Um, I'll be reading out of the HCSB version. I think Sean has converted us all because I was new King James for life, and then like I married him, and then now it's like, nope got to read the HCSB version. Um, when you guys have it, say, I have it. I have it. Android users, iPhone users, any guys already? Okay. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, who, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. And then it goes into the different gifts. So I'm not going to get into that part. But um, what I want to do to kind of relate that scripture, because you're probably listening to that scripture like, well, what does that have to do with my brain? Well, I'm going to give you some facts about the brain. Some of them we've gone over already. Some of them we have not. But I'm going to tie that scripture into what I feel like God is going to say tonight. So we all have established that your brain is made up of neurons, okay? Neurons, interestingly enough, cannot function by themselves. They can only function when they're joined together or they team up with other neurons which they communicate and network with, okay? Um, what these neurons do is they, they um, form our thoughts, patterns, and behaviors. Now, like I mentioned before, we have 100 billion neurons. I pro none of us have probably seen 100 billion of anything in our life. We probably can't even fathom how much that is, so I'm going to tell you. If one neuron was equal to one second, it would calculate to 3,171 years. You can't live that long. So what that means for us is as long as neurons group together for us to complete tasks and functions that we do other, every day, in addition to that, they join with other neurons when we decide to learn something new and when change happens, we have to adapt to change. Your brain was created, God created your brain to be forever adapting and forever changing. And in, order to, in, in addition to that, we have 100 billion neurons. Every person in this room has 100 billion neurons in their brain. So to debunk the, the myth that I'm not smart enough or I can't do it, we were all given the capacity to be able to achieve whatever we wanted to do as long as we did what put our minds to it. So what that means is we have 100, 
anybody that's familiar with math, I don't know what the function is, but maybe it's when you, the, like when you say three to the third power, it's three times three times three. And basically that's saying you have, that's three different combinations of the number three that you can use. Your brain is the same way, but you have 100 billion neurons. So imagine the learning capacity that you have in your brain when you have 100 billion neurons that can consistently, constantly move around and link up with other neurons for you to learn and achieve a new task. Your learning abilities are endless. No matter how old you get, neurons die, but guess what? With the, the desire and with the initiative to learn something new, your body creates new neurons, so you're never without Neurons, that's why you hear so much in the news or doctors say that um, using drugs kills your brain cells. Well, and, and if you talk to people that over a period of time have been addicted to some type of controlled substance, you notice that there are certain functions and certain capabilities that they be, they're not as proficient in anymore. It's because a lot of the drug use has attacked the, the neurological part of their brain, which is their brain cells that help them function and help them learn new things. Okay, so everything we do comes from neurons being connected to one another and communicating with one another. And how I want to explain how they adapt and, and work together is we'll explain like a, a toddler walking. So we've all, if we don't have kids, we've been around kids and seen kids when they first begin to walk. You know, when they first kind of walk, they hold on to something, they may hold on to mom or dad's hand, they take a couple steps, and what happens? They fall. Then they get back up take a couple more steps, and they fall. Then they get back up, and they take, but as, as the process continues, what happens over time? That child learns how to walk. And how that happens is, once that child takes the initiative to learn how to walk, a group of neurons in that child's brain get together to help that child achieve the function of walking. Once those neurons get together, they've never really worked with each other before because this is something new. So what do they have to do? They have to learn to work together. They have to learn to communicate with one another. They have to learn to, to this, okay, I'm in charge of making sure the, the, the motor skills are okay. Okay, I'm in charge of making sure the vision. They all have their own function and their own purpose. One's not greater than the other, but they all are designed to come together to work to achieve one function. So over time, that child learns to walk. And then after that, the child can walk really good. And then after, the after that, the child can run, he can jump, he can skip. But all of those new neurons are built because the first formation that teaches the child how to walk was put together, okay? So that's how your brain learns. Anytime you're presented with new material, as, I, as you listen to people teach, as you watch something on TV, you, you try to ride a bike for the first time, your brain is constantly continually creating new networks of neurons that help you to achieve um, not just you know, new things to do, but new information to learn. You're for, even if it's a new skill, your brain is forever working together to help you to achieve a task. So when someone says, I can't do something, like I will say that, try to think of something I can't do. I'm not a fast runner. I can't run fast. Your brain doesn't argue with you. Even though you may have conversations in your brain where you're arguing with somebody down or arguing with, my, with yourself, should I buy this, should I do this, uh, no, I shouldn't, yes, I should, your brain doesn't have the capacity to argue with itself. So pretty much anything you tell your brain, it believes. And once you tell your brain something, it believes it, it does what? It creates a group of neurons together that help you to say, I can't run fast. Well, guess what? Now I can't run fast. Why can I not run fast? Because I've told myself I can't run fast. You have the ability to program your brain. You have the ability to say, 
I can do this. The Bible teaches that I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. We have the mental capacity to do anything we set our minds to. We are told that over and over and over throughout our life, but do we really apply it? Are we even living out our maximum potential? I think I read a statistic one day that said that we only utilize 2% of our brain. Well, Jesus, if we only utilize 2%, like, is the other 98% that we just chuck that as a loss? Is it a waste? I mean, what's happening? Our learning capabilities are endless. But if you, if you really are faithful and diligent in your prayer life and, and really being committed to doing the work of the Lord and allowing him to change your heart, because we are born in the sim and Adamic nature, you should understand that your entire lifespan is going to be forever changing. So the odds are not against you. He created you with a mind that works in, 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 it works along with God and what he's trying to do in your heart and in your mind and in your life to help you change. How many scriptures are there about renewing the mind? He created your mind to renew itself. You just have to decide you want to do it. You don't have to stay in your sin. You don't have to stay making the same dumb mistake, walking around the same mountain or saying, I'm, that's just the way I am. That's a lie. You can change it. That may be the way you are because of some kind of former experience you've had in your life where you've told your brain, okay, in this situation, this is how I need to react. For example, I'll, use, I'll pretty much tell anybody that I'm socially awkward. So what happens when I go in social environments? Guess what? I become awkward. I become introverted. I become quiet. I become tense. I become nervous. I, I get to wanting to just stay in the corner. I don't want to be bothered. You can ask my husband. I'll be ready to leave. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to sit there and be on my phone. That's because I've told myself that I'm introverted. Anybody that knows me personally, you know I'm not introverted. I'm very outspoken. I have a personality, and, and that's the opposite of what I've told myself that I am. So now anytime I go into a social environment, I have to challenge the internal, I'm spitting, the, internal, the internal stimulus that I've programmed my brain to do. So naturally, your subconscious mind, the only function of it is to, is to help you survive. That's all it's created to do. But ironically, it houses memories and it houses all kinds of other junk that your mind subconsciously, meaning without trying, pulls on to help you survive. If you were running across the street one day and you got hit by a car, guess what's in your subconscious mind? The memory of you running across the street, jaywalking, getting hit by a car. So what's going to happen next time? You're going to wait for the little walk symbol. And you're like, you know what? I know next time if I cross this street without there being a walk symbol that I could possibly get hit. That's your flight or fight um, mentality that's in the subconscious of your brain. It helps you to survive. So if you've been in an abused relationship, what do you do when you date? You look for all the signs. Like, okay, I've been here before. I understand how this is. Typically, children that are abused, why they grow up to be promiscuous, they subconsciously repress to their mind is the memory of that abuse. Whether they can recall it or not is purely based on each situation, but because they have this memory repressed in their subconscious mind, you often see the child, as they get older, they, they have their reaction. Your subconscious mind helps you to react. They either react by being promiscuous, they have children that they are extremely protective over and they won't let, you know, children touch or they won't let people touch them. For example, I'll be transparent, as a child I was violated and I repressed a lot of that and I didn't remember it. I was violated by a male. So when I grew up 
and had children, I had this overbearing fear of, I don't want my children to be in the presence of any man. And it was men that I could trust, like my brother, my dad. I can trust these men. They've never done anything to hurt or harm me. But this fear that was pulled on by my subconscious mind had me bound in fear. So your subconscious mind, you... We oftentimes, we call it autopilot, that's letting your subconscious mind just kind of do what it wants to do. That's dangerous because your subconscious mind is created to do nothing but to help you to survive. So if you're always in survival mode, you're always in reactive mode. You're never in an offensive mode. You're always in a defensive mode waiting on something to happen so that you can be reactory towards it. So we have to be so... We have to really be disciplined in our mind and apply the word to casting down thoughts and imagination. That's continual. And this is why God is like, you need to take control over every thought you have in your mind. You can't, it's not safe to go on autopilot because your, your subconscious mind pulls on all kinds of junk that's filed away somewhere and you're wondering why you're walking around feeling a certain kind of way. What are you thinking about? What are you meditating on? The Bible says to meditate on the things of Christ. You can't possibly be thinking about those things because your mood would be different. The way you think reacts endorphins and, and, and other kinds of emotions in your body to be, to, to, to help me think of what it is. It, it helps to kind of flow throughout your body. So if I'm thinking right now of things that make me angry, naturally my adrenaline, is, which is an endorphin, is going to kick in. My heart's going to beat sweaty palms, my stomach is going to get all knotted up. Why? Because the blood is leaving there, going to other parts of the body. That's why people that worry and stress a lot often have ulcers because there's not enough blood in the digestive system to break down and process food. So I'm going to be shaking and mad and irritable because of the thoughts in my mind that are in that part of my brain that release those anger endorphins throughout my body to walk around angry, puffed up, and, and, and ticked off all the time. If I want to be depressed, I'm going to think about, oh, woe is me. I don't have enough money. This isn't going right. So how people call it wallowing in your pity, you're wallowing in those emotions that help to keep you down. People that have clinical depression, if you look at their brain waves, oftentimes there's a chemical imbalance where their brain is releasing and producing more of the endorphins that help keep them where they are. So all they're doing by taking medication it doesn't, medication creates a, um, a synthetic way to help people cope. Taking medication doesn't help people with depression. It just helps them cope with what's already there. But what they really need is Christ to help them renew their mind and attack whatever the root issue is that's causing that, that clinical depression. Depre there's a cure for depression. The, the, the cure for depression is Jesus Christ. It's not any kind of medicine, medication you see on TV. Nobody want to take that stuff anyway. It causes irritable bowel syndrome, suicidal thoughts, um, irritability, lack of sleep, possibly death. It's just the side effects for some of these pills. You want to take that why I think I would rather be depressed and walk around worrying if I'm gonna kill myself or have a bowel movement at the inappropriate time but those are some of the side effects because these are all synthetic hormones I was reading some today about caffeine and its effects on the brain because I had a headache today I was tired I needed to prepare for my message so I went to Starbucks and was like give me some chai give me some hook it up with some espresso because I need to stay awake so I went home, and I drink the chai, and I'm like, man, I'm still sleepy. My head is hurting. What is, you know, what's, what, is, what is the deal here? So I got to looking online about caffeine and the effects of the brain. We've been lied to thinking that caffeine actually helps you to um, stay up and to energize you and to give you energy. 
Caffeine doesn't do that. What caffeine does is it, 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 it mimics your body's natural, whatever you call it, cells or endorphins that give you energy. It blocks, it, it mimics them, so then your other cells and neurons, when they see those, they're like, hey, you're one of us, let's latch on to you. It's basically latching on to a synthetic endorphin in your brain, which is caffeine. That's the effects of caffeine on the brain. So basically what it does is it doesn't, alleviate the problem of you being tired. A drink is not, if you need sleep, you need sleep. A drink is not the cure to you having some additional energy. Because you notice what happens when you come off that caffeine. You crash. Because you're, either the caffeine wears off or your body recognizes, okay, you're not one of us. So we're going to attach to the real neurons here. So that's basically what it does. It just blocks. It doesn't cure anything. So you caffeine heads, I'm here to tell you that caffeine does not help. It's actually addictive. Stop drinking caffeine for a couple of days if you have a coffee every day and see how your body reacts. Why do you want to continue to put something in your body that, is, that causes addiction? And we want to look inside eye people that smoke, like, uh, they smoke, uh, you drink caffeine. You drink it for the same, you drink it for the, it's the same, same motives. You drink it to cope with being tired. They smoke to cope with being stressed. Same, same stimulus. So we, don't, we, we just need to really be careful on what we put in our bodies and how we use that to cope with our everyday experiences. So the next thing um, I wanted to say, did you know that the first six years of your life that the brain is in a fully hypnotic state, which means without censoring, it will take on all sensory information within its environment? You ever hear the term that your kids are sponges? You ever see somebody who's a kid whose parents is just off the chain and the kids are just off the chain and they laugh and think, oh, it's so cute. Look, she's twerking. That's not cute. Is she twerking now? She's going to be knocked up when she's 15. That, and that's the way your brain is created. You know, you ever hear the, the, the teaching that by the time a child is five, that their personality is fully developed? That's because their brain is in that hypnotic state for the first approximate six years of their life. So because it's in that hypnotic state, it, it's, it's just taking on whatever's around. Mama cuss, daddy cuss, I'm a cuss too. Mama go to church, daddy go to church, I'm a shout like I'm a preacher. That's just the nature of kids. They emulate, they mimic, that's what they do. Between the ages of 6 and 12, the brain is semi-hypnotic. The majority of the beliefs and attitudes are foreign about ourselves in these years. We got to get our kids together. If by the time your child is 6, if they have already formed their, by the time they're 12, if they've already formed their belief system, so help you God. You've got a lot of work to do because we don't really start really kicking into overtime parent mode so our kids get into elementary, junior, high school. By that time, a lot of the hang-ups, it's too late. We've got to watch what you tell your kids. If your child is singing and you think they sound bad, don't tell that child they can sing because then it's going to come out later in life like, my mama said I can't sing, so I can't sing. And our kids walk around in caves. How many times have we had altar ministry and one of the pastors have said, you know, we're going to go back, into, back to when you were a little girl or I'm going to speak to the little boy. Why? Because they're still carrying around stuff from their childhood that, was, that they absorbed from their outside environment. Now, everything that I just, I just, you know, said to you was shown and presented and explained to students that had a 50 to 70 score IQ. Now, most people here probably don't know what your IQ is, but I'll tell you that if your score is between 50 and 70, medically, you're mentally retarded. They call that mental retardation between, if you have IQ between 50 and 70. The average IQ is around in the 80s to 100. Anything over 100, they consider you genius. But um, 
So this same information was presented to children that had a, fifth, a score of 50 to 70 in IQ. These students went on to outperform mainstream students in math and in spelling. So basically, children that were declared by the state or by the medical field as being mentally retarded, unable to learn at the same speed as your average child was presented with the same information of this is what you can do if you put your mind to it. This is what your brain is capable of. Even though your IQ may be this, you've got the same amount of neurons as I got. Now, unless you had some kind of Trump traumatic brain injury or you were born with some kind of brain defect, we all got the same amount of neurons, which means nobody in here is dumber than anybody else. If anything you set your mind to do and I set my mind to do, it can be achieved. So the whole mentality, I can't or I'm not good enough, you are. You just have to set your mind to it and stop telling your brain what to do. Anytime you tell your brain, I can't do this, I'm afraid, your brain reacts and it's like, okay, you know what, she says she can't, let's group together and make sure she can't do this because we got, we got to survive, we got to protect her, and that's what your brain does. So if this same information can be presented to people that declare mentally retarded, what more can that do for us that are classified as having a normal IQ? These children were able to perform, not only perform, but outperform kids that had a regular IQ. So how, how astounding is that? Y'all not responding. I was astounded. I've worked with children that have been declared mentally retarded. A lot of those children, they can't control a lot of their motory skills, like they can't catch their saliva, they can't walk, they have to wear, you know, the, the, the pen diapers, that you have to help them, you have to feed them. You have, there's so much you have to do for them, and they may be seven or eight years old, but learning it like a four four-year-old level. So the fact that you were told, those children were told, this is what you can do, this is what you can achieve, and then not only did they achieve it, but they exceeded above and beyond what the other children were doing that weren't presented with this information, to me is amazing. So there should be no child, you know, that is not able to reach their maximum potential. We just got to make sure that we're feeding our children the right things and not feeding them negative things that cause them to be held back and fail. So now that we know that our learning capacity is endless and that we can do pretty much anything we set our mind to, I'm going to teach you how your brain, how you can help your brain to learn new things, okay? Because you are in control of your brain despite what, what you thought before today. So when resistance to change is moderately low, that is one factor that will help you to learn something new. When resistance to change is moderately low, even though your brains were, they were created to change endlessly for the rest of your life, your brain is, con is controlled to modify and adapt to new situations, new information, and process things to learn new information. So if your brain was created to change, then why would there be a resistance? Well, because you've got your good old buddy, your subconscious mind that is always in survival mode telling you what no, nah, I don't like the way this feels, this is new, let's release this fear or this uncomfortable, this nervousness stimulus to, to make you clam up and not want to try this anymore. So you have to really work at changing the way you think. When you feel those resistance, you got to come against your subconscious mind and be like, no, I will do this, I'm going to set my mind to it, even if I don't want to get up and do it tomorrow, I'm going to still do it. Why do you think so many people quit going to the gym? Especially around the first part of the year, everybody's like, okay, this year, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to work out by April or May. They all them fell off, put on all the weight they gained, and then some, because they were not, no, honestly, I don't be wanting to work out when I do. 
It, you get sore, you're tired, you're working in fatigue, you've got to change the way you eat. And the way the media portrays food, we think stuff that's sweet should taste like ice creams and cakes and cookies. That's not natural sweetness, that's the synthetic sweetness. So now that we've trained our brain to say, this is what's sweet, this is what I like, when you taste something that's naturally sweet and you're like, this ain't really that sweet, I don't like that, I'm going to go back to eating the sweet stuff. You have to work against what you've already programmed your brain to do, unfortunately. The second thing is when you feel safe enough to learn. Now, you can't control the body's survival responses. God created your brain, your subconscious brain, to be in survival mode. That was our, that's our defense mechanism. You know how animals have natural defense mechanisms when... when um, you encounter different animals, they either run, they growl, some animals will go into a shell, other animals will turn over to where, or they may blend in with the environment. Those are their natural, that's their fight or flight. That's, that's what they do to survive. So we have to, when we, when we feel that it's safe enough to learn, so that's step two, is to really talk your mind out of being afraid of change, out of being afraid to learn something new, out of being afraid to walk in faith. You have to talk your mind out of that. Because your brain is, is used to processing things that are tangible, things that you can see. When you talk about grasping face, something that's intangible, something you can't touch, see, or smell, your brain has a hard time for that. So anybody that you see walking around that just has the, the face of anything, I would almost want to challenge that. Are you going through the motions or are you? Because I got to walk it out. I ain't perfect. To me, faith is an everyday. I got to get up today and decide that I'm going to walk in faith despite what's going on, despite how I feel, despite what I see God doing in this person person or despite what so-and-so said, I have to make sure that I hold on to what God said. It's a decision. It's a decision to even receive faith. You have to decide, I'm going to believe this despite whatever. I'm going to believe this despite how I feel or despite what else is going on. So we have to decide that it is safe to learn something. Also, when you want to learn, who wants to do something that's challenging? Most people don't like to be challenged. Let's just be real. So we have to decide that I want to do this. So not only do you have to come against resistance, you have to come against fear, and then you have to decide, this is what I want to do. I want to change. This is good for me. You have to tell yourself, you have to give yourself an incentive as to why you need to do this. You know the song, speak over yourself, encourage yourself? It's true. Yeah. It's not always about wallowing, oh, my everything is going bad, but I'm going to speak over myself. It ain't always about that. You got to speak over yourself to keep your thoughts under subjection because your brain is off the hook. Your brain has a mind of its own. So you have to decide you want to. Your brain is not going to, your brain knows you better than you know yourself. So if you're trying something to learn something new or to receive something or to hear something and deep down inside you like, Shh, I ain't trying to hear this. I ain't trying to do this. Even though you may not verbalize it, your brain knows what it's saying to one another. So what is it doing? It's releasing all kinds of endorphins and feelings throughout your body. And guess what? Sooner or later, you're going to fall off. You're either going to stop believing it, you're not going to take it in at all, you're going to become defensive, or you're just going to quit in its entirety. So you have to want to do something. By stepping out, you know how I said last week that when you're feeling bad, if you smile, that your smile actually releases endorphins in your body to help you feel better. You have to do things. You have to motivate yourself. You have to be your own Kickstarter, your own ignition at times to really set yourself in motion to do the things that you know you need to do. You also got to get your beliefs under, under control. 
The beliefs you hold in memory, whether conscious or subconscious, also tell your subconscious what you really want. Your subconscious is the part of your mind that acts like the operating system of your body. Um, it relies on your thoughts and beliefs to know or to interpret or filter experiences. So if you have a belief system that is off, when you're trying to learn something new, when that new information gets to those filters, your belief system can reject it immediately. And so if your belief system is based on something that's false, then you've already become into resistance mode where you're not open to hearing, receiving, activated, or, or doing anything that's new. So all these things that I'm teaching you, I'm telling you at least, is, is, is designed to help you not only know how your mind works, but it's, it's to, to show you that you have dominion over your thoughts. I think oftentimes we feel defeated, like I can't do this because I've got this, that, and the other going on. But God said, I created your mind to be able to change itself. I created, I put what you need to change the way you think is already down on the inside of you. And if you feel like you're inadequate, then you need to pull on me to do it, to help you do it. You can't do everything on your own. You can decide I want to do this. God, I need your help. We got to include God on not just walking in faith, but in changing our mind. Because we got neurons in our brain that like to gang up and sometimes do things that we don't always feel pleasant. But it's operating out of stuff we've already tra trained our mind to do. So when what you want to do or what you want to learn is backed by action, you can sit on the couch all day like, I want to work out. I want to get my body together. But if you don't get up off the couch and get your butt in the gym, you're never going to even be able to give yourself the chance to accomplish anything or to do anything that you want to do because you can't get fit from the couch. That's just I'm just using that as an example. But with anything, you want to learn something new, pick up a book. You're not, you want to start a business, learn what you got to learn about your business. God cannot bless something if you don't take the step out and give him something to work with. I mean, God can do all things, but we have our own part. We have our responsibility that we have to get out there and do something. So remember, don't resist. Don't fear. Want to change and learn. Believe you can, and then just do it. Those are the five things that you can begin to incorporate in your daily life and thought process that will help you to be able to achieve more in Christ and to walk in faith and to really have victory and control over your mind. So what God kind of gave me today is, and I'm going to read you um, a text message that I sent to Sean earlier, because at the time he was really ministering to me, and basically what God said to me is that we are his neurons. So how that works is, if a neuron, if your brain is made up of 100 billion neurons, a neuron can't function on its own. We as Christians are called to do what? Fellowship. We can't be effective on our own. You got people all day that say, oh, I, I, don't, I don't need to go to church to, to, to have a relationship or I got God at home. That ain't biblical. We were all called to fellowship together. There's power in numbers. There's efficiency in numbers because you might have something that I don't. I have something that you don't. So guess what? If we team up together and yoke up together, we can accomplish more. Just like when the Bible talks about being yoked together, when you've got two cattle, that they can pull more of a load than just the one. So the Bible teaches us that we are to, to team up together for the work of the ministry. The Bible also says that we... The scripture talks about that we all are, we're all, you know, different members of the same body. 
you all got different neurons of the same brain. Each neuron has a different function, has a different strength, has a different ability. So when you have one group of neurons that team up to help you, like I'm a creative person, so I probably have a lot of creative uh, networks in my brain because I, I cook, I sew, I can craft, I can design, I can all kinds, it's all in the, in the creative vein. But what, what happens if I decide, you know what, I want to learn how to paint. So what do I do? I start to paint, learn about paint, go buy paints, different canvases. So what happens is I've got nucleuses and, and, and neurons in my brain that team up together that help me learn how to paint because that's something I set my mind to do. Same thing with the kingdom. And basically what God said, he, he spoke to me and he said, um, neurons by themselves can do nothing. They form a network of other neurons to complete a task, feeling, or function. All neurons work together. All neurons communicate with one another. How many know we need communication? When neurons don't link up together, a person can't complete a task. So the, the analogy I gave you about the little kid, the little toddler that was trying to work, you got one neuron that malfunctions, and guess what? He's going to fall. He's not going to be, his motor skills are going to be interrupted because he's got a, a neuron in that network that's not com communicating with the other neurons. Okay, neurons have a team mentality. There's no I in team. We are all called to work together just like the, the neurons are. So neurons have a team mentality. They work together to form the brain. God intended for all of his people to be like neurons. Each of us group together to form a network. Networks communicate and work together to do the work of the kingdom. When we form denominations of different beliefs within the church, we prevent ourselves from doing the task in which we were charged to do. Just like when neurons communicate, an interruption in their communication or joining together prevents a person from doing what he or she is trying to do and can even lead to dysfunction or a disease. You look at things like Alzheimer's and a lot of those psychological diseases, all of those are created because you've got diseased neurons in your brain. So doctors are always trying to find ways to, to, you know, rid the body of the diseased neurons so that the neurons that are still healthy and functioning can communicate and the person can be healthy. Much like the church has become dysfunctional and diseased due to our lack of love, support, learning together and working together for the kingdom, God created our brain and his neurons to be forever learning and forever working together to allow us to achieve and grow more. We've allowed religion to creep in and reformat our way of thinking, causing false beliefs. This is why the principality of religion has had such victory over the church. God is calling us to change our way of thinking in order to dismantle this principality and remove his power and influence. Great prayer and warring and intercession must take place in order for his will to be accomplished. God says the eyes of my people have become blinded. Neurons that should be communicating in the spirit are not because we've given authority over to the principality of religion. This is the cause of the blindness and disease and dysfunction. So how that relates to us is what you say. We all know that there are many denominations in the kingdom, and not all of them have the same beliefs or speak the same things, but even breaking that down even further with divisions within one church, with one, in, in one roof. It's, as far as us, we all have to understand that there's no I in team, that we're all here to work together to do the work of the ministry. 
We are all here with different abilities, different gifts, some prophets, some apostles, some teachers, some helps ministries, some administrative. There's so many gifts and no, not one of us should covet what another one has or feel like we're inferior because we feel that somebody else is better than us or we feel that they're getting more attention or shine than us. We are in God's eyes as long as we're doing his work. It's an act of worship unto him. And as long as we do it with a cheerful heart and do it the best that we can, he's honored. We should not be concerned with what others think and how others feel and how others perceive what we're doing because it's not others that we're here to do the work of. Once we can get over the hurdle of us individualizing one of ourselves, or individualizing ourselves and work together, we become like that, that network of neurons that come together to, com to achieve a task. It'll be bumpy in the beginning because you're learning to work together because you don't know how the other one works. You have, to, you have to, once you form your groove, it'll be more seamless, just like in a relationship, in a new marriage. When you've got two people that are coming together, in the beginning it's a little bumpy because you don't really have your, your form and your system. You don't really have your, your flow. But once you cohabitate for a while and you really get to know one another, you begin to it begins to flow. And that's how God is calling us, his people, to be. He's calling us to be all neurons and teams of people that may be individualized, but we are all working together. That's the key part that the church forgets, and that's why we have so many people that want to branch off and they want to act in, 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 in ways that are contrary to God's word because of fear, intimidation, competition, or what have you. But we have to grasp the concept that we're, we were all put here to be members of one body, not several bodies, one body, just like God created all neurons to make up one brain, not several brains. You have one brain. If you had two, you'd be a lot crazier than you think you are. But that is really what I feel like God is saying, not just to us, but to, but to the church in general, that we really have to walk as if there are no divisions among us and to really embrace the different gifts and the different callings and the different things that he's placed down on the inside of us because he created us all to be unique. We all have maximum learning capabilities. We all, he created, he gave us all a measure of faith. The Bible didn't say he gave us all different measures of faith. It said he gave us all a measure of faith. To me that says we all have the same capacity to walk in faith. But I don't know about you, but it gave me a different perspective on where I am and I really want to walk in my maximum potential not just in what I can do from an earthly standpoint from a business standpoint for a wife or mother standpoint but what more can I do for the kingdom how much more of God's love can I receive how much more of him we saying give me you how much more can we accept of him if we can get our own personal perverted and distorted filters and perceptions out of the way because he's God still has to come through our filters he can, he can change your heart, but we still are dealing with God through our, our own perception and our own filters based on what life has done to us and what we've done to ourselves and what we've told to ourselves. So just like twice a year or what have you, when you, you, know, you clean out the filters of your, your house, you've got to make sure we are constantly cleaning this filter out because just like the filters, your vent filters in your house can get dirty, dusty, and clog with all kinds of grime and gunk and junk, so can the filters of your mind because the, the things of the world we have to process, we take them all in and we process them through our brains. So we really have to rely on the Holy Spirit say, clean my filter, Holy Spirit, so I'm not looking at things from a, a false perspective, God. That's all about your perspective. Changing, we hear it all the time, change your perspective. What does that entail? 
getting your filters cleaned out. Because once you process things properly through your filters of your mind and they are distributed properly through your brain, you won't have to deal with a lot of those same things, the same distorted views, wonder why I'm walking around the same mountain and why I can't change this. Because you're still processing them all through the same jacked up perception, through the same dirty, grimy, filthy filters that are in your mind. So we got to ask God to change our filters so that we can really begin to receive everything he has from us. And I'm not talking about monetary or from a tangible or earthly standpoint, but he's got stuff that he wants to give to us that we can't even fathom, that our human mind has not, I'm not saying cannot, but has not even grasped the full capacity of. We don't even know how much of God we can really, we can additionally know because we, we limit the way we think. We put our brain in it. We put God in a box. We put our mind in a box. Trust me, if your God is in a box, I'm not saying it like I'm deflecting, but if God to you is in a box, you've got a box in here as well. And we really got to get out. We always say think outside the box. That doesn't always necessarily mean get creative. That means remove the barriers. Take the fortress down. Let's cast down some of them strongholds and them high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Amen? Amen. That's all I have. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope this message has enriched your life. For more information, log on to our website, www.thewaycolumbus.com, or email us at thewaycolumbus at gmail.com. And remember, Jesus is the way.